ahead and grab out your Bible and your notes. I have not finished the sermon already. We're just getting started. All right, everybody. We are in part two of a series called Not Enough. And so this is a series born out of an uh, idea we started on Easter Sunday that none of us can measure up. I told you I'm going to encourage you this April and May. It's going to be a great series about how you are not good enough. You are not strong enough. You are not able enough. You are not pleasing enough. You are not whatever it is enough to live up to those. But I want to kind of teach this from the perspective that that is not bad news. That this idea that we are not enough, that we could not measure up. And so we talked about this a little bit on Easter Sunday, that none of us can measure up. That every single one of us needs Jesus. Every single one of us is not good enough. We're not strong enough. And so last week, we kind of kicked off the series with this truth, this idea that you cannot please everybody. This truth. And I wanted to kind of bring these truths to light because I think too often times the devil will try to manipulate what is true, that you are not enough. What is true, that you cannot please everyone. And he'll try to hurt you with that truth. But I believe that God is going to use some of these truths to set some of you free. I think, honestly, that God is going to use some of these truths that you've been locked in, that they've, they've been used to condemn or used to beat you down or used to keep you back from what God has for you. And some of you need to be set free during this series. And so week one, we talked about you cannot please everybody, that you were not designed to please everybody. And so we had this idea that I cannot please everyone, but I can please God. That I'm not supposed to please everyone, but my life can be pleasing to God. And so we talked about that in week one. In week number three, when we finish this series, we're going to talk about probably what is probably my favorite one of the series. And that is that you are not strong enough. That I don't care how much it's been beaten to your brain as a man or as a woman that you need to handle it all. That you somehow are strong enough to do it all. To be there at every single thing. To do everything for everybody. To do all these things. But I promise you, you are not strong enough. And honestly, the insane pace that we have set for ourselves. That is seen to be commonplace in the culture. The insane pace that we put ourselves on. It only ends in burnout and failure. And so I don't care how many times you've been told that you can do it all, that you will be able to handle it all, that you just need to do one more thing for one more person. I promise you it only ends in burnout and failure. And so we need to begin to recognize the truth that I think will set you free, that you are not strong enough. So we'll talk about that. Today, though, we're tackling one that's very personal to me, and it is the truth that you will never be good enough. So we talked about you can never be pleasing enough. You'll never be strong enough. Today, though, we're looking at you'll never be good enough. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you want to try to please God with your works, how hard you try to please God with the way you work towards righteousness, you'll never be good enough. And we talked a little bit about this on Easter Sunday, but from the perspective of the lost, that we would never be good enough, that Christ's blood is what covers over the sins of our lives. And what I want to talk about today is then from the perspective of how this creeps into the church. How this idea of you'll never be good enough begins to be used as a club to beat people down, begins to be used by the devil to keep you honestly back from what God has called you to do. And so you may hear it something like this. Well, you want to make a difference in the lives of others. You want to you want to step out and be, you know, you want to be a great spiritual example. Who do you think that you are? And you will hear this said by people, but oftentimes we say it to ourselves and we let the devil whisper in our ear, you want to be an example to others. Who do you think you're not good enough? You think you could possibly lead a small group or teach other people about, you don't even know about the Bible. You try to teach people. And as soon as you do, they're just going to ask you a question that you don't know. And you're just going to be exposed for who you are. And it's just, you know, who do you think that you are? You're not good enough. Or you get this idea in your head, well, you want to be an example at work as a Christian. Well, who do you think that you are? 
Because they know who you are. They know your past. They know some things in your, your history. Who do you think? You're not good enough. You know that word you said last week. They know that word you said. And so there's no way you could be an example in your workplace of Christ. You're not good enough. Or you say, you know, you want to be a leader in the business arena or in your community. You want to know people to know your business as a Christian business. Or you want to be known as a person of character and moral fiber. You're not good enough. You know who you are. As soon as you say that, or as soon as you go public with your faith, you're just going to screw up because you always do. And so you'll never, you'll never amount to anything. People will know you're just a hypocrite. You're not good enough. And too often times, what we know to be a truth that God can set us free with, we'll allow the devil to beat us down and keep us from doing what God has called us to do. We'll take it too far. We'll begin to say, well, we're just not good enough. And too often we will hear it from other people's mouths. People who are Christians who are supposed to be building us up, but they'll use it as a club. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And so today I just want to talk a little bit about how God can use the truth that you're not good enough to set you free. Because one of the things I had to recognize to be who God has called me to be is I had to recognize what I will never be. And one of the things I will never be is good enough. One of the things I will never be is good enough. And honestly, that's not bad news when I start to see it through God's eyes. When I start to see it through his perspective, it is the gospel that I am not good enough. And it becomes not bad news. It becomes what actually propels us to do what God has called us to do. So we're going to talk about it. In fact, if you look at some of the greatest leaders in the Bible, you will notice people who realized at some point in their life that they were not good enough. And I want to look at a few of them before we kind of launch into this today. The first one is Abraham. In the Old Testament, we look at this in Genesis chapter 18. Watch this. He says, to, he's talking to God. He says, Lord, I'm not even worthy to stand here because I am nothing but dust and ashes. You don't see Abraham being like, Lord, I am the man. I'm glad you finally found me because I am ready to do all the things you have called. It's good you found me, oh Lord. You're lucky you stumbled across me. That's not what Abraham said. He said, I am nothing but dust and ashes. You watch this in Isaiah. Watch this. Isaiah chapter 6. He talks about, he says, Woe to me, Isaiah cried, for I am what? I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah is saying, I'm not even worthy to stay. I, I can't even be in the presence of a holy God. Because I know that I'm not good enough. I know. And you're watching the heroes of the faith that God used in mighty ways. Watch how they recognize that they're not. Watch this in, then in the New Testament in Peter when he comes. He saw this when Jesus gave the miraculous catch of fish. And he's calling Peter. He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, for I am what? I am a sinful man. He said, I can't, even, I can't even stand here with you. I'm not even allowed to be in your presence. Just be gone. I'm a sinful man. And then you look at Paul. In 1 Timothy, Paul, he said, Jesus came. This is a word. He came, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, what? The worst. One translation says, of whom I am chief of all sinners. And Paul said, you see these heroes of the faith, but they recognize I am not good enough. And this is not a club to beat you down. This honestly is going to set you free when you recognize that I am not good enough Romans chapter 3, verse 23. This is honestly the verse that might set a whole bunch of you free right away. Watch what it says. It says, for how many? How many have sinned? Say it with me. For all have sinned. For all have sinned. And too often times we will try to twist that in our minds. Well, I am the only one. I am the only one who is a sinner. I am the only one who falls short. All these people have it together. All they, listen to me. The most righteous person here today, all have sinned. Every single person here, every single person watching online, I can say with 100% confidence, for all have sinned and we have all fallen short. 
that you are not good enough. I don't care what high horse you rode in on, you are not good enough. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so oftentimes we try to say, well, it's only me. I'm the only one. But all of us, all of us fall short of God's standards. All have fallen short. No matter who you are, how righteous you think you are. No matter how strong you think you are. No matter how good you think you are. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. For many of us, the enemy starts to say, well, you're not good enough. You know, try to bring this into a place of condemnation where you're not good enough. And too many of us will then fall into what's called the trap of performance. We'll find ourselves, whether willingly or maybe, maybe unconsciously, we will find ourselves in the trap of performance. We take on this idea, if I could only be a little bit better. If I could only fix things a little bit more. If I could only do this, these X, Y, Z, if I could only get this a little bit, we start to feel. And oftentimes, this is why so many people fall into the trap of perfectionism. Where we start to feel this false sense of pride when we are doing well and we're doing things good. But then we also feel this incredibly false sense of condemnation when we're not doing as well as we thought we were. And you see this kind of like this pendulum swing in your life and in your emotions because you've fallen into the trap of performance. The Apostle Paul, honestly probably slipped into this early on in his life because he talks about it. We're going to read this from Philippians chapter 3 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. But verse 4 through verse 9. And Paul starts to talk a little bit about this. We're going to start in verse 4 though because he talks about what I would call his resume of righteousness. He talks about what makes him such a good person. What, what he did that would have been held on a pedestal by everybody around him. In other words, he's going to say if anybody could have been good enough. If anybody could have had a resume that was strong enough, he said, forget about all the things you did. Watch, let me lay out for you my resume of righteousness. Here's what he said in verse 4. He said, yet I could have confidence in my own effort if anybody could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their efforts, I have even more. Paul's being a little tongue-in-cheek here. He's saying, if anybody had a reason to be confident, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. You remember the Judaizers? I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. So time out. This is what Paul is saying if he was talking in today's. He's saying on one side of my family is my grandfather, Billy Graham, and on the other side of my family is my grandmother, Mother Teresa. That's what he is basically laying out. He is saying, I've got this spiritual pedigree. I am better. I am a real Hebrew if ever there was one. And then watch what he says. He said, I came from the greatest tribe, and now I'm a member of the Pharisees. This would have been like the wow factor. Like, you know, you, they know the people would have been like, that's a strict sect, you know, about the strictest obedience to the Jewish law of all the sects that have existed in Israel. You had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these different ones. He's saying, I am the strictest obedient to the law. I'm part of the Pharisees. But then he goes on, watch this, and I was zealous, zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. He's saying, I was such, I was so strong in the Pharisees. I was the one that persecuted. I didn't let other people go out and do it for me. I didn't just talk about it. He says, I was persecuting the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, that would have been the wow statement that he would have sent to these. That would have been his claiming to fame right there. Because he's saying, you know, you, you might uphold 10 commandments. Pharisees had 613 laws. 613 that they held to as strictly as they could. And Paul is saying, I didn't break a single one of them. I was never accused of breaking a single one of these laws. I was under the performance trap. I, I could, if, I, if anybody could claim to have done it right, I did it right. If anybody could have claimed. And so how does that play out in our world today? How does that look for us 
to then fall under that, that performance mindset or that performance trap. Two ways if you're taking notes. First one, jot it down, is we fall into it when we think that we are pleasing God by following all of the rules. We fall into it when we think that our life is just about falling. Now, it's a false standard of measurement because the rules vary depending on what church you're a part of or what denomination or what group of Christianity you're about. Because some people would say, you know what, I feel good about God and I think God feels good about me based on what I do. That's the positive. Based on, based on the things that I do, that's how I feel good about God and God feels good about me. And then another on the flip side, people say, well, I feel good about God and God must be feeling good about me because of what I don't do. And so you have these kind of two modes of thought. And so the positive one first, right? I feel good about God. I must, I must be good with God. God must like me because I read my Bible today. Or I must be good with God because I, I served in church. Or I must be good. I gave money in church. Or I must be good with God. God must like me because of what I've done. But then you have on the flip side, you have people who say, well, I must be good with God. God must feel good about me because of what I don't do. Because, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't sin like the rest of you. You know, I just, I don't, I don't turn our noses up and say, well, I don't, I don't, you know, live a life like you. The things I don't do, and I don't listen to secular music. God must be happy with me because I don't listen to that secular. You know, you listen to Taylor Swift, and I listen to K-Love, and so, you know, God must just love me so much more. I don't listen to that. I don't watch R-rated movies. I don't even watch PG-13 rated movies if they're sexual stuff. Violence is okay, but if they're sexual stuff, I don't watch. I don't do that. And we turn our nose because of what we don't do. And God must love me even more because I don't go to Hooters, you know, unless, unless it's half off wings or something. You know, that's just, I'm just saving some money. Up to, and I don't, I don't do that. And I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run with girls who do. You know, I just don't. God must love me. And we think God is good with me. God loves me. God must really look down and smile upon me. And I must be good with God because of what I don't do. And we fall into the performance trap. We tend to please God by following our standards of whatever the rules we think are. And it's a trap of performance. When we're doing good, we feel good. And when we're not doing what we think is good, we feel bad. We feel far from God, the performance trap. Second area of the trap, and this has hit me so personally, and that is when we start to believe that our worth, that what we are worth is based on what we produce or how we perform. We begin to claim that our worth is what we are producing or how we are performing for people, and this has been true for a lot of us forever, right? When you're a kid and you're trying to practice whatever that, that trick is, right? The trick basketball shot or riding your bike with no hands. Well, he's like, watch, 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 watch. And then as soon as somebody looks, you crash, right? Come on, anybody can accept that. As soon as, as soon as the pressure is on, we tend to fail. Or we grow up with that, though. Did I make a good grade? Well, I must be acceptable. Did I not make a good grade? Well, I must not be acceptable. Did I do those? And it, it works its way into the church world. Where am I a good person? Well, does, do the rest of them like me? Am I a good pastor? Well, did you like the sermon this week? Did you like the thing? Because a few of you will tell me if you do, but a whole bunch of you tell me if you don't. Come on, somebody. Am I a good person? And we fall into this performance trap where we think that what we are worth is based on what we perform or what we produce. And we'll draw our worth from that. And we start to think wrongly that our worth is based on what we do. And what Paul is going to say is, hey, I had a better performance than anybody. What Paul's laying out is, hey, you can fall into that trap if you want to, but if anybody could have passed the test of performance, it would have been me. And Paul is saying, I came to the end. If anybody could have been good enough, it would have been me, but my religious works were nothing but a load of scubula. And you would ask, what is scubula? We're going to read on and find out. Philippians chapter 3, he's talking about his works, and he says this, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a law. He's talking about the things that he did, all the things he worked so hard to do, all the laws he worked so hard to not, all these things. He's saying, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, he's talking about his works, and he's saying, I consider them, what? I consider them scubula. That's the Greek word that is translated as garbage. I consider all the works that I heaped up, all the things that anybody could have laid claim to and had pride in. Anybody could have thought, if I'm going to be good enough, I'll do what Paul did. He said, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from what? From the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of what? Of faith. The righteousness that comes through God, the righteousness I have through God is not what? It's not based on my works. It's not based on my actions. It's only through Christ. It says the righteousness I have is by faith in Christ that I can never work my way to pleasing God. I can never stop sinning my way to salvation. He's saying the only way that I have righteousness with God, the only way that I am saved, the only way is through faith in Christ. And he says in another, another epistle letter that he writes, he talks about that no one could boast. He says, the only way that I can have faith is through being raised right with God is through the perfect gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And I promise you, I don't care what your resume of righteousness is. I don't care what your, your list of things you do. I don't care what your list of things is you don't do. You will never be good enough. It's only through Christ. It's only through faith in Jesus. And he says, the only righteousness I have comes through faith in Christ. And so that then when the enemy, Satan, tries to manipulate this truth that I am not good enough. It's not the thing that condemns me. It's not the thing that brings me down. It's not the club that beats me. It is the truth that sets me free. That I am not good enough that Jesus did what I could not do. That he did what we could not do. That I cannot be good enough that I have to put my trust and my faith in Christ and in Christ alone. That we have to put our faith in him alone. That we don't have the ability to do it on our own. That's not something to condemn us. That's something that sets us free. i give you an example one of the ways that I honestly have probably been a little too, taken a little bit too much pride in, in my life, uh, is I've always been kind of good at saving money. I just have this, this miser mentality just to save. I like to find the deal. I like to, you know, get the discount. I like to, you know, walk instead of take the taxi. I just have this thing in my life where I just like, and even when I was in college and paid nothing at my job, like I, I spent even less and then now God has blessed us, but it's still just a problem in my life. I'm just, I'm very cheap. All right. I'll just put it out there like that. And God is sending me free from some of those things since I got married and had kids. But it is a long, long road that we are traversing, all right? He said, I've just always kind of been that way. And God has blessed us financially. We are blessed, but it's just kind of the way that I am. And so I'm out at a restaurant with some friends of mine. Uh, and I really wanted to order the steak, but steak is $19 and the burger is 8 bucks, And so I got the burger. Come on, somebody. It's just the way that I am. And so we order those things. And so the bill comes at the end. And I take my little debit card and I put it on the tray and I send it to the back. Now, we have to discuss another flaw in my character that doesn't seem related, but you'll see why in just a moment. And that is when I get the mail at my house, I have this tendency to bring in the mail and set it down in like piles of envelopes near the front door and forget about them. It's just the way that I am. Uh, it's just another little flaw in my thing. And so eventually, though, I'll combine all the piles and then like a month later, I'll open them all. That's just the way that I kind of works at my house. So don't send me anything in the mail if you actually want it to be read. Why does that relate to our story? Well, you flash forward back. Well, when my bank decided that they needed to change my debit card and change the number, I can only assume that they foolishly sent it to me in one of those little white envelopes that got put in a pile 
instead of in my wallet when I needed it the most. And so the waiter comes back to our table and he hands me my card and he kind of whispers in my ear, sir, there's something wrong with your payment. And I thought, well, that's just great, isn't it? That's just fantastic. And so I do that thing that we do where we open up the big portion of our wallet and realize I have no cash, right? You know, everybody, we've done that. And I look back at him and my face must have said it all because I distinctly remember he shifted his body between me and the door. And I thought, this guy thinks that I'm about to run. He thinks I'm about to make a run for it, which he is a smart man. He understands, right? (laughs) And I remember before I said anything else, the guy that was sitting next to me, not saying anything, he reached up and grabbed the ticket, put his card on it, and went right back to the conversation. Now, I thought two things in that moment. I thought one of two things. The first thing is, I have good taste in friends. Come on, somebody. I have good... Can I pick them or can I pick them? I just have to... And the second thing, I should have got the steak. I knew I should have gotten the steak. (laughs) I knew, I knew I should have. (laughs) That's neither here nor there. That's just the thing. (laughs) But I remember in that moment, it didn't matter how good I was with money. It didn't matter how much a miser, how much I had saved. It didn't matter if I had $10 or a million dollars in the bank. I had no ability to pay the bill. I had no ability to make the payment on my, I had no, I I didn't have the ability to even make it. It didn't matter how much of a discount I loved, it didn't matter how much I had saved. I had no ability to make the payment on my own. Somebody else had to pay. Somebody else had to pay. And it is the same way with God that we can heap up all the righteousness we want. We can heap up all the works we can do or don't do. We can heap all those things. We can have the resume that exceeds everyone else we have ever met in our lives. It doesn't amount to anything. You don't have the ability to pay for your sins on your own. You cannot be good enough. That it is only through Christ and through Christ alone that he made the payment on our behalf. That we didn't have the ability to pay. That we didn't have the ability, somebody else paid it. All your best works, they are scubula. All your best works. And you say, what is that? Let's define it together. Here's what scubula means. It means what is thrown to the dogs. It means excrement. It literally, the best translation means dung. D-U-N-G, dung. In the language that makes all three of my kids laugh, it means poop, everybody. That's what it means. It's, and honestly, in the, the real, if we want to translate that, it is the harsher version of poop. Honestly, if you want no exaggeration at all, it is a curse word. That he say, everything that I had, every rubbish, everything that I tried to heap up is scubula. It's dung. I'm not good enough. Everything I try is just garbage. It's dung. It's excrement. It doesn't count for anything. That we're not good enough. And instead of being something that beats me down, it's something that frees me under the grace of God. Instead of being something that's used as a club to beat us down, to, to take us out of the path God has for us, to keep us from what God wants us to do, it frees us that I'm no longer living for his approval, but in Christ I'm living from the approval of God. That he has made me right by his own righteousness, that Jesus paid the price that I could not pay, and so it's not on me to pay that price. And honestly, it frees us from this performance trap. It frees us from this idea that I have to heap up enough righteousness to be saved. This salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. It's through faith in him and him alone. It's an approval in Christ. And here's the key. It's the change in one of three words. Everybody say, but when God. Thank you, both of you that joined with me. Everybody say, but when God. But when God. Problem is, so many of us say, but when I. 
Too many times we say, but when I, Paul is brutally persecuting the church. Paul is destroying and killing Christians. He's trying to beat out any idea of Christ in this world. That's the moment that Paul is in. He's got this thing he calls a resume of righteousness, but then in all of these things, he's trying to oppose the church and he's trying to destroy all these Christians. He's trying to do all these things in that moment. Watch this in Galatians chapter one. What did he say? But when God, watch this, but when God who set me apart, but when God who called me by his grace, but when God was pleased to reveal his son, watch what he's saying, but when God who called me, But when God who made the decision, but when God was pleased to bring me out of that, but when God was pleased to choose me, but when God, now check this out, God didn't choose Paul because Paul was good enough. God didn't choose Paul because Paul had the resume of righteousness. God didn't choose Paul because of all those things that he lives. He says, but when God called me by his grace, when God called me because of his grace, but when God decided that he wanted to use me, but when God decided that he was going to call me righteous because of the blood of Jesus, but when God decided to call me by his grace, that's when Paul, when the difference was made. God didn't call Paul because he was circumcised on the eighth day. God didn't call Paul because he was of the tribe of Benjamin. God called Paul by his grace. But when God called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I would preach him among the Gentiles. When God called me, That's when everything changed. The problem is too many of us want to say, but when I, and here's how it normally would go. But when I finally get my life together, when I finally fix this thing, then I can make a difference for God. But when I finally become a scholar, then I can finally share the Bible. But when I, but when I, when I finally figure out the right words to say, then I can become a person of prayer. But when I finally get all these things in the row, when I finally figure out how to fix all these things, then I can be an example to others of Christ at work or in my business. But when I finally get all, when I finally fix the issue I was dealing, then I can be a spiritual leader and example to my kids. But when I, but when I, and the problem is you can't, you're not good enough. And too many times we'll say, but when I, but when I, but when I, and we never realize we can't, we never will, we never will be good enough to do it. It's through Christ and Christ alone. And we'll say, but when I, but when I, and then we never will. But when God, But when God, by his grace, when God, by his mercy, when God, by his grace, calls us and the truth that we are not good enough, all of a sudden, it's the truth that sets us free. The pressure is off. And it's not by my good works. It's not by my somehow strength. It's not under my own goodness. But when God, but when God calls me, but when God's grace rests on me, when when God wants to use me, but when God has called me to be a part of his family, it's not to you to try to do it, it's for Christ to do it through you. And the Bible says that in your weakness is when Christ's strength is the greatest. It's not but when I, it's but when God. But when God chooses, it doesn't matter what other people think, but God calls you. It doesn't matter what other people try to say to you, but when God chooses you, it doesn't matter how many other people have overlooked you. But when God empowers you, it doesn't matter who stands against you. But when God's grace rests on you, it doesn't matter when the devil tries to bring up your past, you are forgiven. But when God heals you, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, it's God. But when God sets his grace on you, it doesn't matter what other people have said all your life. But when God chooses to use you, it's through his grace and through his faith and faith in Christ alone. But when God, but when God, but when God calls you, it doesn't matter that you're not good enough. Every single one of us is not good enough. Every single one of us has fallen short, but when God calls you by his grace, that's when everything changes. That's when everything changes. Why the gospel is the good news, that you could not do it, you cannot do it, that Jesus did what you could not do. 
He did what you could not do. But when God calls us by his grace. And when I realize that God accepts me through Christ and Christ alone. It's not the truth that beats me down. It's the truth that frees me. It's the truth that frees me that I'm no longer living for his approval, but from his approval. You live with a quiet confidence that I have been made right with Christ through Jesus alone. That it's not what I can heap up. And I understand, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if I'm doing great or I'm not doing so great, whatever it is, it doesn't change my standing with God. That I have been saved through Christ and Christ alone. And I no longer feel the guilt and the failure of my sins, but I feel the love and affection that Jesus bought at Calvary. That I am made right with God. And I have the security of knowing I am made right through Christ. And that changes everything. Some of you, you are trapped in the performance trap. Some of you, you feel like you are never good enough. That you never were good enough. That you'll always be. Throw your faith and your life on Christ Jesus. On his mercy. On his grace. And let God set you free. Let's pray together as we end today. Father, I just pray that you would set some of us free today. Those of us living under a performance trap, God. Those trying to work their way to salvation, Lord. We just pray, set us free. And some of you feel trapped in that. Some of you have tried to work your way to God. You've tried to work your way to salvation. You've tried to think your worth is based on what you produce or how you perform. I just want to pray, God, today we repent. Lord, if we've ever tried to work our way, if we've ever tried to do what Jesus already did on the cross in our own foolish works, God, we repent. Lord, if we've ever tried to work our way to salvation, we repent. And Lord, we say it's in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I want to talk to a few of you. Maybe you grew up in church. And maybe you grew up around all of this and you thought, well, that's good enough for me. Maybe you were baptized as a baby or maybe you thought, well, I've got Christian parents. Or maybe you thought, well, I, I, you know, I went to a, a class one time or maybe you thought hey, that's, that's enough for me. Let me just tell it to you clearly. That will never make you right with God. That will never make you right with God. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. It's in putting your faith in him. And so maybe you've heard all of these things and you, you've thought about it, but you've never actually placed your faith in Jesus. Today's the day. Today's the day to make a choice. Or maybe you're here today or you're watching online and every head is bowed and our eyes are closed. But maybe you're thinking this through and you're thinking, well, I do believe in God and I'd like to give him my life, but I've got to clean everything up first. I've got to get this thing right. And so you're thinking, you're trapped in that idea of, but when I, when I get it right, but when I do these things, then I can finally go to God. Listen to me. That's not God's message. His message is come to me. Those who are weary, come to me. Those who are broken, come to me. Those who are messy and dirty and messed up. He's saying, run to me because I promise you, you are not good enough to fix it on your own. Nothing you can do can fix it on your own. You have to run to Jesus and you bring all of your messed up self and you bring all of your guiltiness and you bring all of your sin and you throw it on his mercy and his grace. And here's what happens when you throw it there and you repent and you cry out, forgive me. Here's what he does. He forgives you. He says, I promise. He, he, he makes the promise that he will forgive you. When you run to the throne of mercy, we obtain grace. When we run and we throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ, he forgives you. And the Bible says he forgets your sins. As far as the east is from the west, it's like they are no more. It's like they never existed. He forgets your sins and he makes you brand new. That is the message of the gospel. Jesus did what you could not do. You are not good enough. But because of his sacrifice on the cross that he died and rose again, anyone can run to the feet of Jesus. Anyone 
can cast their cares on him. Anyone can have forgiveness of sins. And so today's the day to do it. Right now is your moment. I promise you, right now is your moment. If you say, that's me, if you say, I'm under the performance trap, or you say, I've never thrown my faith in Jesus, I've never actually placed my trust in him, or you say, I feel so far from God, but I want to run to him today, I promise you, his throne is open. Run to him. Run to him. And so that's you. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I'm not going to take you to a special room after service. This is between you and your Savior. But it'd be my honor to pray with you today. And church, we're going to pray with those who want to make that decision right now. Nobody prays alone. But if you want to make that decision, let's pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray right now, God, Lord, that you would continue to set us free from this performance trap, continue to set us free from the ideas that we could be good enough, set us free from the ideas that we could work hard enough. Lord, we pray right now and we thank you that our salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone, that is by faith that we are saved. We thank you, Lord. It's not a truth to condemn us, but it's a truth that you use to set us free. And we'll live our lives not for approval, but from the approval we've received in God through Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Let's praise God for what he's done today.